0: From the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C., I am Denise Jung, Senior Fellow for the Strategic Technologies Program at CSIS, and you are listening to our podcast series on the Internet of Things. Soon, just about every device, appliance, and gadget will be connected. These are sensors and actuators embedded in physical objects from cars to medical devices linked through wireless and wired networks. These technologies connect and embed intelligence in billions of objects and devices around the world, and they have the potential to improve health, safety, and productivity in almost every major industrial sector. But there are also risks and challenges, both technical and policy oriented. And industry and government will need to figure out how to invest resources and what new policies are required to enable wider adoption of Internet of Things technologies, particularly for applications in critical infrastructure. So joining me today to discuss these issues is Marty Edwards from the Department of Homeland Security. Marty is the director of the Industrial Control Systems Cyber Emergency Response Team at DHS, and he leads efforts to reduce cyber risks to industrial control systems. Prior to DHS, Marty was a program manager at Idaho National Lab working on control systems security. He has over 20 years of experience in this field. Marty, thank you for joining me today no problem. So some people talk about the industrial internet of things as if it is a new concept, but isn't it true that automation and connecting control systems to the internet is not a new phenomenon? In fact, it's been in practice for quite some time. So how do you define the industrial internet of things and how is it different from business as usual?
1: So, you know, your your statement that the industrial control system environment has been connected uh, for some years is certainly uh, certainly true there has been a movement by businesses to leverage the communications capabilities that the internet brings uh, to help them optimize their processes so if you think about the internet of things um, in general and i think your intro gave a great you know a great description you've got things like refrigerators and cars and you know medical devices perhaps that are implanted in people uh, it's, it's basically all of the devices around us that are connected to the Internet. Uh, the industrial Internet of things, which is uh, a new term that's evolving, you know, is, is basically extrapolating that to the industrial world. You know, General Electric, I think it was, coined the term industrial Internet some years ago uh, to define how inside of a plant uh, these industrial networks were becoming more and more Internet-like. Um, So, you know, the industrial Internet of Things really is is kind of the convergence of that, you know, consumer-grade Internet of Things terminology and the industrial uh, landscape that, that really is what I consider industrial control systems.
0: So could you provide some specific examples of novel or interesting ways in which Internet of Things technologies are being applied to industrial processes including, you know, maybe oil and natural gas or the power grid or in advanced manufacturing?
1: Well I think I think things like smart metering in the energy sectors and in the the, the utility sectors in general certainly can encompass that Internet of Things type of feel. You know, you've got a Uh, a metering device attached to a residence and that's directly conveying all of the information back out over over some type of internet connection uh, sometimes. Uh, You've got things like uh, thermostats in in people's homes that can be programmed or or, uh, I guess set back based on energy demands, for example, at a utility company. Uh, All of those types of things really are transforming the way that business operates another big area that we see and an area that we see as a as a potential significant risk is more and more industrial processes are actually operating their plants remotely so they connect uh, the operator control room type of of graphic consoles uh, to the internet uh, to enable them to do remote maintenance and remote operations and if that isn't done uh with a security mindset uh, you can run into trouble very quickly
0: so how does the growth of the internet of things and its use in industrial processes affect the threat landscape i mean does it does it make critical infrastructure more vulnerable
1: yeah i, I actually think it does you know you you see um for example these industrial plants that have these remote access connections into them and in some cases in recent malware campaigns we've actually seen these operator consoles or human machine interfaces as they're known directly connected to the internet with no security controls whatsoever in place so if you're a a bad guy and you're scanning the internet uh, looking for interesting devices to play around with you know these devices come up and by name identify themselves as you know hey i'm I'm an electrical substation Um, you know that's pretty concerning you know there's tools on the internet uh, much like when you ask a contemporary search engine like Google, uh, how do I get to the nearest coffee shop in the town you're in? You know, it doesn't go out and query the internet for all that information. It goes to a database of cached locations and cached keywords and returns that query from that cache. Well, there's actually tools on the internet. Uh, a, a common one is called Shodan, that basically does the same thing for devices. So it in its leisure, in its spare time, crawls around the internet looking for these devices, and then it will uh, produce a list of those on request um, to anybody that asks. So when you couple those together with specific vulnerabilities that may exist in the equipment, um, it makes for a fairly target-rich environment.
0: Companies across almost all industries are increasingly adopting IoT technologies. Does adoption of new IoT technologies by critical infrastructure companies create new opportunities to improve the security of these systems?
1: There certainly are opportunities for that. So, if a company, for example, when they're modernizing their uh, industrial control system architecture and are making cognizant, you know, business-based risk decisions to interconnect those systems with with their corporate environments or with the internet at large you know, they do have a very good opportunity at that time to put in you know layered security measures in order to defend those systems um, you know we see some systems that are are very very good they have very good security controls and they've invested in the human capital uh... to maintain and monitor those controls but uh... we we see the opposite as well where where these systems are essentially directly plugged in with, with no security uh, thoughts whatsoever.
0: Given the nature of industrial control systems and the fact that they are critical, always-on systems, and they're costly to update or replace, we have a lot of legacy systems that are decades old running our, our nation's critical infrastructure. What does this mean for security?
1: Well, as you mentioned, I mean, some of these systems have been around for literally decades, So in some layers of the industrial control system, it's not unusual to see hardware and software products that have a lifespan of of 20 or 30 years. So we are actually talking about decades here. Uh, On the other hand, in the layers of the control system that are more likely uh, to be exposed to the corporate environments or to the Internet, those are typically uh, running off of a more contemporary operating system cycle. Uh, they, they certainly can build the system or build their networks in a redundant fashion so that they can patch portion of their system and then shift operations uh, to that uh, system and, and then patch the remainder of the system. So there are definitely ways that companies can manage their security at the same time they're managing their operational uptime, you know, or their runtime. Um, but as you said, in legacy systems, that can quite often be difficult.
0: So what are the trends in incidents, cyber incidents involving critical infrastructure, these industrial control systems? Are we seeing an increase or over the years or, or is is it has it kind of plateaued? Or is security improving overall and you know we're seeing fewer incidents? What are the trends these days?
1: Yeah, so those are all difficult questions. So basically we can only uh, we can only report on what we know. So I I would I would speculate that there are a significant number of incidents or vulnerabilities that that are just plain unknown, especially to the government, that we we haven't got that level of reporting from either from our private sector uh, stakeholders. So we actually see within the ICS cert that the number of incidents is kind of uh, leveling off. But again, I don't think we're necessarily seeing the whole picture. But one concerning trend that we are seeing is out of those number of incidents, we're actually seeing the adversary uh, make it further into the system. So if you go back several years, uh, most of these uh, intrusions, if you if you if you wish, were in the outer layers, so not not close to the core services of the industrial control system. And we see this sort of progression of uh, the intrusions going deeper into the system. And so that, for me, is the That's the concerning metric that we see out of our statistics.
0: While we're talking about the adversary, um, there are different types of attackers, including hacktivists, criminal gangs, lone actors, and sometimes nation states. For industrial control systems and critical infrastructure targets, how would you characterize the adversary? Do they share any common characteristics?
1: Well, I, I would say they must all share a common characteristic in that they have an interest in the computer architecture that runs our critical infrastructure uh, you you characterize the different threat actors fairly well uh, they range all the way from you know the script kitty type of uh, individual that can download uh, free you know penetration testing type software from the Internet and and simply point it at some of these exposed systems uh, without much effort right I mean they just have to either stumble on one of these systems or uh, look for it in one of these search engines, as I described earlier. You know, or you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum where you've got uh, the so-called advanced persistent threat actors that are very specifically looking for the systems that they want to manipulate and then using their uh, tools and techniques to, uh, to, to gain access to those systems.
0: What types of attackers are targeting critical infrastructure systems? Do you see more nation-state actors targeting these systems than other types of actors?
1: You know, I can't comment on specific attribution for any of the incidents that we work on, but I I would agree with your comment that, you know, in general we we tend to see uh, fairly sophisticated uh, threat actors that are interested in these systems. And I think the, the reason is obvious. You know, these systems are systems that control the physical infrastructure around us. Uh, they're the, the infrastructure and the systems that, that communities and societies depend on. So they are an attractive target. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, we've, we've put so much effort into the ICS CERT within uh, within the DHS uh, National uh, Cybersecurity and Communications Integration Center here, the NCCIC, uh, is because we, we do take that that threat or that risk very seriously and uh, are hoping to work uh, in a very close partnership with the private sector in order to help the private sector understand the nature of these risks uh, to their systems so that they can invest, um, you know, they can buy down their risk by the level of investment that they make in security.
0: Could you explain your work at DHS? Um, What types of services or resources are available through the ICS cert?
1: Absolutely, I can, Denise. The, you know, we have uh, two main groupings of products and, and services, and the first one is what I will call sort of the proactive uh, things that we have for, for asset owners to get involved with prior to any incident happening. So those are things like taking advantage of our training courses. We have everything from a, a simple one-hour, you know, sort of web-based uh, multimedia course that's available on the internet Uh, all the way up to a week-long, hands-on, very technical course on how to defend these systems. Uh, We publish uh, a lot of information-sharing products, whether those are alerts and advisories of specific vulnerabilities in in different manufacturers, hardware, and software platforms, or whether those are indicators of of some sort of trend that we're seeing. Um, We have uh, assessment services available, so if an, an industry partner... Want somebody to come in and take a take a look at how how well are we doing security? Uh, we can send out a team that either you know around a conference table uh, can go through the policies and procedures and the network architectures of the plant, or uh, we can go all the way up to you know uh, analyzing their network traffic to determine if there's any uh, you know malicious content on their networks. So we have a fairly broad suite of those kinds of proactive services available. Um, We offer a a tool, the the CSET, the Cybersecurity Evaluation Tool, that's available free of charge to download from the Internet as well, uh, that allows an an asset owner or an entity to basically do a self-assessment. They can choose which standard uh, that they wish to be uh, measured against, and then through a series of very structured questions, they can uh, tell the tool what their security posture is, and then the tool will give some recommendations to close that gap all those things can be done ahead of time before an incident happens. Uh, after uh, an incident happens, the, the community is welcome to call our our watch floors. We have 24-7 uh, watch capability that we can muster teams together and if we need to we can actually deploy a team to their facility to work hand-in-hand with their network engineers and their industrial uh, control systems people you know, to understand what is this malware where's it coming from how do we mitigate against this you know our main focus uh, within DHS is to understand the nature of the intrusion uh, immediately help the uh, entity put into place mitigating measures against that intrusion but but the real powerful part is that we then take that back and within the NKIC can Analyze and share that broadly to multiple sectors, so that other entities can quickly protect themselves against a similar type of threat. Mm-hmm. And most of those, uh, if people are interested, they can they can go to the website, uh, you know, www.dhs.gov or uh, www.ics-cert.us-cert.gov, and mm-hmm. uh, find those products and services.
0: As a final question. How conscious do you think critical infrastructure owners and operators are of cyber risks? Are they more aware of cyber threats to their systems today than just a few years ago?
1: We definitely do. Um, So there's a significant portion of the industrial control system uh, stakeholder group that has made very cognizant decisions to invest heavily in the security of their control systems. So when we go out and do assessments of these systems with our personnel um, we see significant uh, progress being made Um, but at the same time we also see some uh, entities that that are still struggling with how to how to invest in that and I think I think they struggle with um, they they struggle with the capital cost of some of those things Uh, some of them I think are still stuck in the paradigm that there must be a magic magic black box or a silver bullet that you can use to secure a system and they haven't recognized that the very first investment they need to make is in the human capital. Uh, it's the people that are going to design, install, maintain, and operate these security infrastructures. Uh, so we see the whole spectrum. Uh, I think in general, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fairly safe in saying that we see a positive trend. Um, but quite frankly, I don't think it's, I don't think that trend is steep enough. We're not seeing enough converts, uh, if you wish to call it that.
0: Well, this is a very interesting discussion, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us.
1: Not a problem, Denise. Uh, happy, to, happy to speak with you about a, a topic that I'm very passionate about, uh, so happy to help in the future.
0: Marty Edwards is a director for the Department of Homeland Security's Industrial Control System's Cyber Emergency Response Team. And this is a podcast on the Internet of Things by the CSIS Strategic Technologies Program. I am Denise Jung. Thanks for tuning in.